Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Interviews podcast, a series of brief conversations with leading China experts on key issues in the Sino-American relationship. The following episode is part of our Coronavirus Impact series. For more interviews, videos, and news about the outbreak and its global consequences, visit us at ncuscr.org slash coronavirus. So I wanted to uh, touch on the question of why has U.S.-China relations uh, deteriorated at a time when global cooperation is most urgently needed? And as a political scientist, I think I would point, I would underscore the factor of um, deep political insecurity on the part of leaders in both countries. And to explain that, let me begin with China. So President Xi Jinping may now appear triumphant for having won the battle against the virus, but I am not so sure that he's really as triumphant as many people believe him to be. In fact, I think he has good reasons to be worried. To explain why, let me step back and provide some context, which I recently wrote about in um, an, uh, an article in Nature, the science um, magazine, and it's called When COVID-19 Meets Centralized Personalized Power. It's useful for us to understand, firstly, that China and the sea is very different from China in the previous decades. Uh, Xi represents a period of authoritarian revival. He has clamped down on political freedoms and he has centralized power in his own hands. This has been well documented by this economy and other experts. Uh, Graham Allison describes Xi as the chairman of everything. Well, absolute power brings absolute responsibility. So there's a price for centralizing power. Uh, if you look at my analysis in nature, you see that the decision-making process and the chain of command during COVID is more centralized than during SARS, which was a period of collective leadership and decentralization. This implies that Xi himself bears heavy personal responsibility for any of his decisions, including his errors. And this is reflected both in his initial indecision and indirectly in his creation of a stifling political environment, which suppressed whistleblowers and freedom of speech. So once we understand this deep insecurity and the heavy personal responsibility that he has to bear in an extremely centralized environment, I think we can better understand why his regime has reacted or interacted with the US in a very defensive and even aggressive way. We have seen China do an all-out campaign to celebrate what China has done right under Xi without any mention of what China has failed to do uh, and in what ways it has failed. In all fairness, I'm sure that Xi himself does not want a crisis. Perhaps the party will have a moment of introspection and reflect on what went wrong. And I think that he must also see and understand the imperative for cooperation and reconciliation. At the same time, as a political scientist, I'll say that we must also recognize his domestic political imperative, which is to rewrite narrative in his favor and to rally the nation behind him with America on the other side. That's for now. 
it is difficult for me to see the motivation for reconciliation to come unless she regains his sense of political security. Then moving on the U.S. side, the story is quite straightforward. I think most of us can agree that the Trump administration had completely failed to prepare for the outbreak, even though they had known about it and saw it exploding in China for months. This undermines Trump's bid for re-election in November. But the response is simple, which is to put all the blame on China. This is obviously simplistic, but simplistic sells. Simplistic is, is a very appealing message. So on the US side, uh, the political motivations for reconciliation are just as weak, in my view. So when you put the two sides together, I could not feel optimistic about the direction of US-China relations going forward, at least not in 2020. Uh, the coming presidential election in November will obviously be a game changer, and we'll have to see whether and how the political landscape shakes up by then. Having sort of laid out a rather pessimistic outlook, I wanted, however, to end on two promising points. First, I wish to highlight that while leaders in the both countries have failed in their own ways, one in transparency and the other in competence, civil society in both China and the US have really stepped up. NGOs, volunteers, the private sector, organizations like the National Committee. So I think it's very, very important for us to keep in mind uh, going forward, not to confuse societies with the leadership. And when we say China, we need to be precise about who we mean by China. Do we mean President Xi, the party, the government, or the society, right? Because if we fail to unbundle these parties, then I think we risk unnecessarily antagonizing the whole nation of China when a lot of the conflict is actually between the leadership. And likewise, when the Chinese people talk about America, I would urge that they should know that the American society is not the same as the American government. Now, the second promising point I would highlight is that both of the top leaders, President Xi and President Trump, still, of course, have a great deal of power in their hands. So if they are willing to call a truce and say, we'll set aside our domestic imperatives and pledge to cooperate for the time being until the crisis passes, there is still tremendous room for them to do that. And, and indeed, we have seen that after a phone call, the escalation you know, of war of words sort of was put on pause for the time being. So we hope that both society will continue to step up and the two leaders, despite their domestic political constraints, will be willing for the moment to put aside their own interests and put the national interests before them. Thank you. To learn more about the coronavirus and its impacts, visit us at ncuscr.org slash coronavirus or go to youtube.com slash ncuscr.